This is The Age Stage. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Brendan Telfer. The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians. It is made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Welcome to this week's program. In it, we'll be uh, catching up with our medical reporter, Damien Friendly. Damien, concerned about the virulence of this season's flu. It has accounted for 26 deaths. It is tragically affecting older members of our community and Damien is worried. People are going to notice the flu not just a, a viral sort of cold where you might last for 24, 48 hours. We're talking about a, a process of uh, infection that will cause you to be lying in bed, potentially having difficulties breathing and further complications of pneumonia and other issues for four to five weeks. So it's quite debilitating and can kill you, as we've already identified. Um, over over 30,000 cases already in the current state of Victoria have been registered for being true flu. Damien Flenley, a little bit later on in the age stage. Also this week, technology revolution revolutionising the way we hear and helping us with hearing loss. Audiologist Peter Bartlett joins us to explain how AI can improve hearing in noisy rooms and noisy environments, plus isolate the speech patterns of speakers and amplify only the voice the listener wants to hear. You tell someone about the potential with this device and they're going, oh yeah, I don't know, you know, I'll hear. they've got sort of old concepts of hearing aids. And then they come back in a few weeks later and they're just saying, look, I'm hearing better at my rotary meeting, I wasn't any problem when I was talking to my kids on the phone and all this sort of stuff. And you think, you know, that person's quality of life just changed. It's really a, a whole of life issue. So... Yeah, it's good. Peter Bartlett uh, from Audica a little bit later on in this week's edition of the Age Stage. But first we turn our attention to the general election and the role of the older voter. You might remember that in recent uh, programs we have been tapping into the thoughts of some of our experts on this particular matter. And we were very, very interested to do a bit of a debrief. How damaging in particular was Labor's franking credit policy, a subject that we turned our attention to at one stage in the lead up to the general election? And did the older voter feel discriminated against? And what of Chris Bowen's statement that if people didn't like the policy, they could vote against Labor? Well, it seems... They did. Jeff Wilson of Wilson Asset Management in Sydney crunched the numbers and examined Labor's policy on the basis of one, logic, and two, fairness. And he really wasn't very happy with his own conclusions. To find out more and to get his conclusions on the general election, Jeff Wilson joins us on the line from Sydney. Jeff Wilson, welcome to the age stage. Uh, Good to be here. Jeff, before the election, we at the age stage were trying to gauge the impact uh, Labor's franking credits policy would uh, have on the election outcome. And as it turns out, it might have been quite considerable. Would you agree? 100%. The the franking credit policy that Labor were suggesting uh, that they would enact if they enough to win government was, from our perspective, very unfair, very inequitable and actually illogical. Um, I mean, the the franking credit system was set up by Paul Keating uh, and and one of the the things the franking credit system does, it encourages people who invest in Australian companies, it encourages Australian companies to employ, you know, obviously... It allows Australian companies to employ Australians uh, and it encourages Australian companies to pay tax um, and then pay fully frank dividends. And, and if they do, then their share prices go up um, and, and it's cheap 
longer for them to raise money to grow again. So the, the, the cycle is that's that's the logic, and, and doing anything to uh, impact that negatively um, is is you know to me very naive from a um, from a policy perspective. And, and we saw you know the, the first day after the election, you know the rally in listed investment companies, which you know we manage some. Um, you know, most of our funds were up five percent that day, um, and the banks. You, know, you saw the banks you know, move around five percent. So that was the effectively that was the negative, the, the reversal of the negative impact that that, that concern had. had. And that, that's that's the logic. And the unfair part was you know, not only these you know, people had worked all their life, paid taxes, then retired, and operated under a system. That allowed them to get those franking credit uh, refunds back for nearly the, the last twenty years, um, and but they wanted to change that, and it was also um, unfair because if you happen to be retired, but you had your money in a self-managed super fund or in shares in your own name, you'd lose the franking credits. But if you happen to be in a industry fund or a union fund, you'd get the franking credits. So to me, it was just a flawed policy. It's very interesting, isn't it? But ironically, of course, it really specifically only affected a small proportion of the retiree population. However, that that, that is that is what was consist, consistently said from a labour perspective. Um, the, the and of course, you know, labour also talked about taking the rich giving to the poor. That that comment was incorrect. The, the, the because with the cap, the fifteen percent cap on your self-managed super fund above one point six million, that actually has removed um, most of the big, you know, franking credit refunds. So it was unfortunate. It was really um, collateral damage in terms of the people that had between you know, eight hundred thousand in their um, self-managed super fund at that one point. Million that were being negatively impacted, and in terms of what I think the Labor Party totally underestimated was the intergenerational impact that, um, and, and in terms of just talking about a, a small group of Australians, you know, forgetting they all had you know, children and grandchildren, and we're on our six monthly presentation to our shareholders, and yesterday. One of the shareholders um, was telling me that he had uh, 11 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren, and the grandchildren were between 18 and 24 years of age. And five times he sat down with them, explaining uh, how superannuation works, what he'd done, the tax he'd paid, and the impact that it was going to have on him personally. And he said, um, none of those... Uh, none of his grandchildren voted uh, Labor in that elect in the election. So, and then we also did a survey of um, our uh, shareholders, and forty seven percent of them. And this this surprised me. We we did this a couple of weeks ago. Forty seven percent of them. This is both. Yeah, this is all voters. Forty seven percent said that their children or grandchildren would change their vote because of this policy. 
So I think that's what was underestimated. Well, we can see Chris Bowen backpedalling very quickly now, and obviously the architect of uh, Labor's policy, uh, probably a little, little contrite if that is possible. Um, the oh, other, I don't think I don't I don't think he's backpedalling uh, quickly enough. I, you know, I, I I don't think he should put his name in the ring for um, running as an opposition leader, and I think he should definitely not be shadow treasurer. It's interesting, and it might be uh, might be coming back to haunt him now as they go through all those machinations, mightn't it, uh, Jeff? But I, yes. the, the other thing that came or, or occurred to us here at the age stage prior to the election was this mass of Australians that are now retired or about to retire. It's a substantial number of the Australian population. They don't seem to be organised into a specific pressure group so much. Do you think the work that you've done here in this area is the emergence of a new grey power political machine that's going to assert itself more regularly and, and try and get some dividends from what it has invested in Australia? Oh, not necessarily. Like, um, we, we, were, we were totally focused on the policy. Uh, we weren't focused on, focused on the politics. If it was, um, from our perspective, if Liberal came up with this policy, we'd be as hard on them as, we, as we've tried to be on Labor. The, the interesting thing is, yeah, uh, you know, as, as we've been talking to our shareholders, and another one I was talking to in the last few days, yeah, you know, he was a fifty-year-old, uh, and he he changed his vote because he said, "I'm going to be retiring soon, and I want to be able to support myself, and I don't, you know, I want to be able to benefit from the removal of that double taxation." So. Yeah, it is. It is quite a big group. The, the group you're talking about, that that sort of grey power group. Um, yeah, so maybe that's an opportunity for you. <laughs> well, I wonder whether we're going to see or hear more of them as a unique and, and pressure group going forward. Um, before we go and let you go, Jeff, I know it's busy time. You're talking to all your shareholders and stuff. Can I pick your brains very quickly uh, on behalf of all of us down here on the Mornington Peninsula yeah. and beyond? Um, are we going to see uh, interest rates change? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. In, yeah, interest rates will... Coming down? Coming down, yeah, a high probability. Like the actual futures market is saying that there'll be two interest rates drops this year in Australia Prop- and one, one interest rate Im- uh, reduction in the US. Implications for the property market in, in Australia? You think it's bottomed out? You think it's coming back? Yeah. Well, the, the positive part about the property is, A, assuming interest rates come down a little bit, um, but the, 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 the bigger thing that was announced yesterday is APRA has effectively reduced... Uh, or, or effectively taking pressure off the banks. Um, historically, when you'd go and get a loan from a bank, that they would work out what interest rate um, they would work out to see if you could survive if in, if interest rates got to seven and a quarter percent. But APRA has come out with a new policy, which gives you a lower figure. So that should be stimulatory, or you know, for allowing people to get loans, even though it's still going to be difficult for loans because I think the banks are very scarred after the Royal Commission to make sure they don't do anything wrong, so they'll get you to jump through so many hoops and it'll take a period of time. But the the number of people that can get loans will, will increase. Um, so that's positive. So you've got two positives. So, and yeah, I, I actually think you know, property could be getting close to a bottom. 
And just very quickly, Ross Gittins in the Sydney Morning Herald, I think today writing that uh, not too confident about uh, global fundamentals. What do you think? Oh, well, the, the, the difficult thing is, you know, we all know, you know, we're all old enough to have lived through bull markets and bear markets. And we know after a bull market, you, you get a bear market. The only good thing about bear markets, they tend to be quite short. You know, you know, 12 to 18 months where the bear, bull market lasts a lot longer. In the, in the equity market, the US market, it's, it's been the longest bull market ever. Now, in terms of what the US um, is doing, it, you know, the fact that interest rates are probably you know, globally still uh, heading down a little bit, you know, down a little bit, is, is positive for valuations. We're nervous because the market, you know, the bull market has been so long, but you know, it could easily you know, have another you know, six to 12 months. Um, and the tough thing is, you never pick it right. Yeah, um, yeah. Trying to, you know, trying to um, pick the bottom or, or or the tops of markets. So, yeah, you know, we've all sort of learned that you're better off you know, having your asset allocation. And if you if you're going to take some risk and have some equities, then you know, let them run. And um, you know, when things look terrible, you know, be a buyer. When things feel fantastic, be a seller. Great uh, advice, Jeff Wilson. Thank you so much indeed for interrupting um, busy days for you. We appreciate your time here on the Age Stage. And, Jeff, I wonder whether we can put you on notice from time to time if we do have any issues about finances, perhaps superannuation or other advice, we might be able to add you to one of the RPPFM Age Stage uh, occasional regulars. I look, look, we'd love to. And, and uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big supporter of what you do. And, and the mum and dad, you know, when they were around, they used to have a place down at Red Hill. So you know, I love the Mornington Peninsula, even though I live in Sydney these days. It's a beautiful part of the world. Jeff, thank you very much indeed for your time. Good to speak. Jeff Wilson of Wilson Asset Management in Sydney. Jeffrey, thank you very much indeed. We appreciate your time here on the Age Stage. This is, of course, the Age Stage. It is proudly sponsored by Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. We take a break. When we come back, we'll tap into the thoughts of our regular contributor, Paul Verstige, and his take on the general election. Did he too sense awakening of the older voter? The Age Stage continuing after this break. Hi, this is Megan Gale, and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPPFM. And a reminder, Thursday morning, it's the age stage right here on RPP FM. Thank you very much indeed for your company this morning. Great uh, that you're out there on 98.7 and 98.3. Well, we've heard from Jeff Wilson, so I thought it might be interesting to get Paul Verstige on the line from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, a regular contributor, of course, to the program. And Paul is the policy coordinator. Uh, to see in a very non-political sense, of course, what reaction or what uh, theories and perhaps conclusions his organisation has come away with following the election. Paul, uh, once again, thanks for making uh, some time available to us. Thank you. Well, Paul, as I said, basically in summary, we've had concerns there by Jeff in terms of policy not making sense and unfairness. And then, of course, this sort of ripple effect, the way that uh, the policy that appeared to be attacking the grey dollar and the retiree dollar seemed to have a greater impact across families that were beginning to get a little bit alarmed and concerned for those of their families that were retiring, about to retire or had retired. Did you get a similar sense when you were talking to your people? I didn't get a sense that you know that our membership thought that uh, that the franking credit issue was was unfair. Um, that is mainly because people just wouldn't have been affected by it, uh, and mainly because they they don't hold shares. 
obviously we, we do have some members who felt very strongly about this and and they did have shares and and uh, and, and that explained their um, uh, their views I think I, I have no no real sense that you know the franking credit issue presented as a retiree tax actually lost labor the the election I think there are just a host of other issues as well particularly in Queensland that contributed to um, to, to really what happened and I also note that <clears throat> even though the the result was very unexpected uh, the election result Yes, I'm, I'm also interested from, uh, you know, the demographic that we're talking to in the age stage, whether in fact that sort of grey dollar, the, the silver hair, had an impact, uh, uh, a very large impact on the outcome of the election. You're, you're arguing against that notion, hey? Um, well, arguing against, I, you know, I don't have the evidence, but um, um, I'm a bit sceptical. I, I do know that the, the previous election, which really uh, happened not all that long after the the doubling of the asset test taper rate, I could really see an effect there because a lot more people were directly affected by the uh, the doubling of the, the asset test taper rate by, incidentally, the man who is uh, who's now a, uh, a Prime Minister. The the number of people actually affected by a policy does matter in the, in, in the effect it has on the, the election result and the people that would have been affected by the ban on or the, the cancellation of the franking credits cashbacks, uh, that number was very, very low. But you also have concerns and some observations going back in government, all the way back to the Howard years, though, on this matter, don't you, or this area? Yeah, look, we have seen... You see, my, my prediction is that um, the, the franking credit issue and the cashback aspect of it in particular will be revisited, and not necessarily just by Labor. What is at stake is, at, at the moment, about $6 billion dollars in, in, in the budget, uh, going up to $8 billion. And um, that is a lot of money uh, that's going to be attractive to whoever is in government or whoever wants to win government. And, you know, note that, as I just said, the asset test taper rate, which was doubled, was doubled by, uh, by the Liberals and Nationals. And it represented a turnaround or an unwinding of something that Howard and Costello had put in place there's already some discussion about that, I think, and as you rightly say, a couple of commentators are thinking that uh, irrespective of which political party, there are a couple of people that are beginning to eye that uh, that amount of money. Um, so you think it will be an ine- inevitable process at some stage, eh? Yes, I think so. And of course, the, the other uh, the other big thing that, was, that has been wound back, that was introduced in the early 2000s by Howard and Costello, was uh, tax-free, uh, income tax-free super in retirement. Again, the Liberal Nationals wound that back and put in place a cap, you know, a cap which for most people isn't really a cap because $1.6 million is a lot of money as a cap. But it still demonstrates that political parties in government may have to do things that uh, that are not popular with the people that, uh, that vote for them.
Yes, I'm just wondering really whether we are seeing um, the stirrings of a larger grey group that are going to be asserting themselves in future years then, if you can uh, sheet home some of this uh, election result to them, whether we're going to see a little bit more um, voracious and uh, perhaps more outspoken uh, claims and uh, defences of, of, the, of the pension dollar in future years. Yes, it also depends on whether there is an effective an effective leader of, of such campaigns. I mean, I think the uh, the government recognised that this might be a powerful issue in in and might have a big effect on 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 the election, and they ran with it, and it was uh, it it did get, gain a lot of media exposure, and that uh, that had had an influence. It did indeed. Well, for the moment then, Paul, I guess we just sort of um, strap in and enjoy the ride to keep an eye, a bit of a watchful eye on what and where our policies might go. But um, you're thinking that uh, perhaps in future years uh, we might uh, rejoin this uh, discussion. Yes. So, as I said, six, $6 billion is a lot of money. Paul Verstige of the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association and the association always points out it is apolitical, it is neutral as far as politics are concerned. The Age Stage, made possible with the support of Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. A break when we come back, we glimpse the next generation of hearing devices with audiologist Peter Bartlett. You tell someone about the, the potential with these devices and they're going, oh yeah, I don't know, you know, I'll hear, they've got sort of old concepts of hearing aids. And then they come back in a few weeks later and they're just saying, look, I'm hearing better at my rotary meeting, I um, wasn't any problem when I was talking to my kids on the phone and all this sort of stuff. And you think, you know, that person's quality of life just changed. It's really a, a whole of life issue. So, yeah, it's good. Yes, an amazing future. AI really beginning to assert itself in the area of uh, hearing loss and also helping us come to terms with hearing. All that and more. After this break. This is RPPFM, Radio Port Phillip on 98.7 and 98.3 FM. Local people, local issues. Hi, this is Sigrid Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio, and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPPFM. This is RPPFM. You're listening to The Age Stage, a program that we've designed for older Australians. We are supported in those endeavours by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. And you are tuned to RPPFM. This is The Age Stage. It's Thursday morning, and of course, it's got to where with the help of our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Peter Bartlett is a clinical audiologist with 25 years' experience in uh, the industry, six years in Africa and also in Outback Australia. He's now in central Victoria and is part of the Audica Network, a hearing health network that spans the country and provides a full range of hearing services. Peter is no stranger to the age stage. He's uh, joining us again. Peter, welcome. Yeah, thanks very much, Brendan. Great to be back with you. Fantastic. Um, obviously, last time, just picking up on the themes of our last discussion, uh, sadly, many Australians do have hearing problems. We are reluctant to present with those problems, and you at Audicare are reminding us that a little intervention can go a long way. Yeah, that's right. And as we discussed last time, that's not something that happens uh, across the world. Australia's sort of lagging behind in that, and that's what we're really wanting to promote with, you know, um, three-quarters of the people over the age of 70 having a hearing issue. Obviously, it is. Uh, skewed towards our older population and therefore it's really important that uh, we get the hearing checked and not just for 
hearing's sake, but it affects all sorts of areas of health, and um, that's why it's so critical. Extraordinary. And also, uh, just quickly before we get on to the main subject and thrust of today's discussion, I, I'm seeing some headlines coming out of New Zealand, in fact, that they've been doing some tests on the hearing of younger Kiwis around the Auckland area, and apparently they're showing some alarming deterioration in hearing. Uh, they're putting it down to heavy use of earphones in the younger generation over there. Okay. Yeah, well, it's certainly a message that we've um, wanted to wanted to get out for a long time around how to protect your hearing. And, and one of the issues there is that if there is noise damage to hearing, um, whether it be uh, younger ones um, with earphones or rock concerts or industrial noise, um, machinery and gun shooting and other things, um, that uh, once you lose your hearing from those um, causes, then it doesn't come back. And so it really is a big preventative um uh, discussion for hearing health. It is indeed, and I suppose it, it sort of amplified, I guess, to use a coin the phrase, as, <laughs> as you get a little bit older as well, I, I would suggest. Yeah, and, and you notice it more later on. It's sort of a little bit like sun exposure, and then, you know, later on we, we know the message of foot stop slap and how it's important to cover up early because you can see effects later, and the same is with hearing um, and uh, noise injury. You don't necessarily see the effects initially. And then as we get older, um, they, it comes back to bite. And um, not just as it affects hearing, but health and, and communication and relationships as well. And that's why we recommend you get down to the Audica clinics to uh, get your ears checked out. But let's move it on to the the next area that I'm most interested in. And, of course, as we were mentioning last time, technology now beginning to get pretty invasive in all this and improving things if our lot is poor hearing, Uh, particularly in hearing aids. Technology is making remarkable strides and AI is really beginning to assert itself, Peter. Research into not only um, we think about hearing and it happens with our ears and then the, the auditory system, but really what happens to the signal once it gets to the brain? Um, and the brain is, is an amazing uh, instrument or organ, really, that uh, that we know not enough about. But um, what we're seeing is that the amount of signal processing that occurs within the auditory cortex, uh, the section in the brain that um, separates out the sounds that we want to hear from those that are just all around us uh, does an amazing power of work in there and um, what we're, I suppose, wanting to do with uh, technology where that uh, hearing has been impaired is to try to make the most of that um, special function of the brain. In other words, sort of try and bypass it or sort of patch around it. Now, some amazing work then done at Columbia University, the Institute of Mind and Brain Behaviour over there, where they have been using and getting direct access into this part of the brain. The idea being that they're creating AI or injecting AI intelligence uh, basically to improve uh, and enhance what and where the the listener is, is turned their attention to. Yeah, that's right. If you think about if you're in, a, let's say, a shopping centre or a restaurant or something like that, and you're trying to key into the conversation uh, with somebody else, and yet there's so many other noises happening all around you, other conversations, um, you know, background noise, traffic, things clattering and clanging, uh, and the brain is able to focus in on uh, sounds that might be um, uh, comparatively softer, but they're more meaningful to you. And so as a result of understanding the, um, you know, the nuances in somebody's uh, speech, uh, it's able to focus in on uh, that sound because that's what you're really interested in. And, and this is what the, the research is um, looking at. And, and there was some previous research as well that was done where they're connecting up, um, so uh, 
parts of the brain effectively um, and, and trying to understand which part of um, what the brain is focusing on. Um, and what they found previously was that um, they're able to see uh, and uh, more preference to those speakers that they were familiar with. But this latest research is actually showing that um, if, if you have, let's say, a, a, an unfamiliar speaker come in, once you've locked on to the, the uh, nuances in that speech, um, that can, that can then therefore be looked at in terms of the brainwaves. And then if we can understand how the brainwaves are responding to that speech, then maybe that can be amplified uh, in a hearing device. And, of course, it's all experimental at this stage. That, that was only um, done with uh, patients who are having brain surgery. But this is really critical, uh, uh, critical development. It is. It's amazing development. And I'm particularly interested in its implications for older Australians, of course, which the age stage is aimed at, because it does mm-hmm. mean that technologically there might be some advancements not too far away which are going to improve all sorts of opportunities for them in terms of hearing. So the potential there would be if there's some way in which we can uh, connect what the brain is responding to or the work that the brain is doing and, as you say, amplify those signals uh, and then, um, uh, yeah, amplify that back into the system, then uh, you can effectively be picking out uh, the words or the conversations, the people that you're wanting to listen, even better above um, background noise. Now, of course, you know, many hearing devices uh, are available now that, that mimic that and that try to do that. Um, and there are, you know, there's already quite advances in technology at the moment, but, if, you know, we're always looking to the, the next thing, I suppose. The next stage. And I guess at Audica, then, you do and you could acquaint us with what technology is in the marketplace at the moment? Yeah, for sure. So there's uh, always advances uh, in the area. And one of the things that there's two big enemies of hearing loss, and that is um, background noise and distance. So if someone's further away, they're harder to hear, obviously. If there's a lot of other competing noise, they're harder to hear as well. And so a lot of devices focusing on or trying to focus on um, how to pick out uh, that sound or that conversation that you're wanting to hear uh, and to make it audible, but also make it comfortable. They're the two important things there. So um, there's no use hearing everything if it's not comfortable. People need to be able to use the devices. Um, and one of the was actually to a new released uh, device, the OpenS, uh, and these, this is something that we're offering as trial at the moment in uh, our audio clinics. But um, what it does is it analyzes the environment, so it understands and uses both both uh, devices together, so left and right ear devices, uh, and it analyzes the environment at a hundred times a second to work out is that a speech sound that I want to be listening to, or is that some other noise that I don't want to be listening to as much. And then it allows uh, for those noises or those sounds to be comparatively balanced so that you're getting more emphasis to the ones that you're wanting to hear, more likely to be wanting to hear more. And then in addition to that, it's then reducing the background noise in the environment. So um, there's already some amazing technology that's happening uh, and being released this very year, really, um, which is exciting as well. So are you getting good feedback from those people that uh, you're working with with this openness? Yeah, absolutely. For people that are in heavy noise environments, they notice the difference. Now, if you're, let's say you're at home and you just want a device to hear the TV better, you're not going to get the, the full benefit of something you know, like this, adva- this advance in, in technology. But for those who are very active in meetings, um, socially connected, and really uh, conversations are a very important part of their life um, in varied environments, then 
they're going to notice uh, a big difference in, in this way. Um, and the other thing uh, that I've mentioned um, before is around uh, its connectivity, not just to um, what's happening in, in that environment, but also to other devices. So, you know, we, <laughs> we live by our mobile phones these days, um, but what wearing devices now allows you to do, allows a hearing impaired um, user to do, is have the, the phone effectively patched to the devices so that they have effectively got a Bluetooth headset in their ears. Um, so they don't have to answer the phone, don't have to hold it up to their ears. They probably hear on the phone better than you and I um, because that direct signal goes straight to both of their ears, whereas usually on the phone we're only using one or if we're on loudspeaker we've got both but then everyone else can hear. Um, and not only with phones but pretty much any device that's Bluetooth compatible, which is really exciting. It is very, very exciting. We live in very exciting times, Peter, and uh, it, it is absolutely amazing where the technology is taking us. And um, as I said, Audica certainly uh, is stockist and also can refer you on to some of this stuff if you want to look at it in further detail. Peter, we thank you very much indeed for your time today. Thanks, Brendan. Good, good stuff. Good to talk to you. Audiologist Peter Bartlett, and do check out Audica, the hearing specialist. Well, next up on the program, we turn our attention to the flu. It has arrived early, and it is deadly. H-Stage continues with our medical reporter, Damien Flenley, on the other side of this break. RPPFM, great to have you company. This is the H-Stage each and every Thursday morning here on RPPFM, your local radio station, 98.7, 98.3. Time to welcome to the H-Stage studio our regular medical expert, Damien Flenley, has dropped by. And Damien, this week, I know we've talked about it in the past, but I'm particularly interested in this uh, flu virus, this epidemic now, which seems to be spreading. I mean, in alarming stats coming out of Victoria, 26 deaths. Yeah. And um, very early in the season, what's going on? Well, look, we have understood that the flu is quite virulent and quite potent uh, many times of the year, particularly over this early winter series. Unfortunately, it's uh, peaked a bit earlier so far, about at least four to six weeks prior to our expected uh, identification of these issues. Subsequently, we've all been caught a little bit lax. Um, we highly recommend that people at high-risk groups, anyone over the age of 50, anyone with uh, comorbidities or other risk factors, to go and get their flu vax. Um, and even those fit healthy, consider getting the flu vax because it can be quite debilitating to you, your family and your neighbourhood. Well, you've been absolutely banging on about this every time you come by the age stage that we must go down and get those flu vaccines. Every time you do, I ask you why it is necessary. My question is, the virus mutates. How can they possibly be giving us immunisation against a virus that has moved so much in the 12 months since the uh, the package was organised? Well, I think immunisation is a really interesting word to choose in these in this discussion because generally when we talk about uh, immunisations, you're talking about global yearly protection for the rest of your life for measles, for mumps and uh, chickenpox and these other you know virulent diseases that are currently in our endeavour. Polio, people remember, is immunisation friendly. Um, the flu vaccination, though, is more an immunisation booster. Um, it's a, a booster to your immunity right now to prepare your body for the next 12 months to protect itself from the, um, the current flu epidemic that's about and currently hitting our, our local shores. So given the numbers, I mean, the alarming stats we're seeing in the Age newspaper this week as we go to air are 26 fatalities already, obviously mm. in the very young and the very old. Correct. But this is going to there's going to be a bit of a rush on these uh, flu vaccines now, surely. Yeah, look, this is brewing in our community and continues to 
to do so over this uh, weekend uh, winter period uh, where people are going to notice the flu, not just a, a viral sort of cold where you might last for 24, 48 hours. We're talking about a, a process of uh, infection that will cause you to be lying in bed, potentially having difficulties breathing and further complications of pneumonia and other issues for four to five weeks. So it's quite debilitating and can kill you, as we've already identified. Um, over over 30,000 cases already in the current state of Victoria have been registered for being true flu. So it's important to get onto it early and prepare yourself. If you can't afford to take one day off work, uh, don't be thinking that the flu will avoid you and you uh, can take five weeks off work. So. How, how do we go about preparing ourselves if we can't get to uh, the flu shot? Look, at the moment, the flu shots are readily available from multiple GP centres across the peninsula. Um, I highly recommend you make that time. It's worthy of your families and endeavour to do so. Um, little things we do regularly, if you don't, you can reduce stress in your life. You can stop, have good sleeping. You could be well hydrated, maintain a good, healthy, fibrous diet. Um, only eating meat, uh, you know, two, three times a week, but having lots of vegetables in your diet on a regular basis. These are things that will help your immunity and help your gut health protect yourself greatly against these any sort of infection and flus. Just uh, thinking about it going forward uh, in the future, technology, is it going to intervene in some, some form or other in, in future years whereby the flu will be consigned to history for us? Look, I'd love to say so, but as you said, it's quite a virulent bug that mutates regularly. Uh, in the past, I've used the analogy of an orange with lots of cloves on. If you had forty or fifty cloves on the end of your uh, on the end of your orange, and uh, you use those as key mechanisms to protect against that flu, um, the flu vac- vaccination will only protect you for a few of those. Only thirty or forty of those fifty. Um, there can be problems in that. But you know it's going to be continually virulent. It's a, a viral, viral bug that flows around the world regularly, and every day, every year, it hits more and more people. So, I say no technology won't prevent against the flu, but um, we can protect ourselves to be healthier and happier on a more regular basis. So the good news is, well, not you know, the good news is, I guess that uh, we better get down to our docks and make sure that we uh, we get into the uh, into the vaccine. Absolutely, the time is now. It's not next week. It's not in a month's time. It's book in now and go and get that shot. It takes five minutes. It may cost 10 or $20 if you're a working employed person. If you're on the pension or you've got other comorbidities over the age of 50, it's potentially free. Uh, if you're of school age, this is a communicable disease that we want to prevent. So I just rock down to my local doctor and they're going to give me a jab on the spot, are they? Or I'm going to make an appointment? How does it um, work? Look, generally you can rock down. A lot of them are running flu shot uh, clinics so that you can rock up on the spot. But I do recommend you call your local physician, the people who know you best. They'll do not only the flu shot, but they'll check your blood pressure. They'll check your, your blood sugar. They'll check on your whole body's well-being and give you that little bit of health advice right now to protect yourself and your family from getting the flu. Damien Friendly, Damien, thank you very much indeed. We do appreciate your very sound medical advice. We certainly will heed it. Our Age Stage Medical Reporter with some very important advice there for us. Do please take care. And with that, uh, we just about uh, wrap it up for another week. Thank you very much indeed once again for your company. I am Brendan Telfer. Thanks too to our guests this week, Jeff Wilson of Wilson Asset Management in Sydney, Paul Vestige from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, audiologist Peter Bartlett from Audica, and not forgetting, of course, our intrepid medical reporter, Damien Fellanley. Thank you very much indeed to our sponsors as well, Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. I am Brendan Telfer. The HDH returns in seven days' time. Take care. See you then. Send me a postcard, drop me a line, stating point of view. Indicate precisely what you mean to say. You're sincerely wasting away. Give me your answer, Phil.
the peninsula 98.7 98.3 rwp fm